Father, long ago, you spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, you've spoken to us by your Son, whom you appointed the heir of all things, and through whom you also created the world. He is the radiance of your glory and the exact imprint of your nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. So speak to us now through your Son. Uphold us by the word of his power that we may radiate your glory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, good evening, friends. Um, We'll be in Mark chapter 1 and chapter 6. As we continue, this is our second message in our prayer series, Becoming All Fire. You might remember the story that in the 4th century of the Egyptian wilderness, there was... There are monks out there praying all the time. And Abba Lot was excelling quite greatly in his prayer life and wanted to find someone who get him to the next level. So he finds Abba Joseph. And Abba Lot says, Abba Joseph, what more must I do in my prayer life? And Abba Joseph simply stands up, raises his hands to heaven in prayer, and says... Well, actually, before he says, his fingertips all erupt into flames of fire. And then he sits back down and he says, if you will, you can become all fire. And you may remember the analogy that our soul is coal. It doesn't bring much to God. It's dusty and messy and frankly, ugly. It's very earthly too. But the spirit of God is fire. And when fire and coal meet, you have ignition. Prayer is where our soul of coal meets the fire of the Spirit, and we ignite. Our first message, so this wasn't last week. Remember, Pastor Dan taught for me while I was bottled up with COVID. (laughs) Uh, But our first message two weeks ago established that prayer is communion with God. That's what prayer is. It's, it, talking with God is one way to talk about it, but it's not, to me, effective. To me, communion makes more sense because it means it's a two-way street. God is talking and I'm talking. But it's not just talking. I don't just talk to God the way I talk to you. Because when I am engaged with God in prayer, I am becoming one with God. He is in me and I am in, I am in him. That's communion. Communion is, yes, fellowship, but it's also union. It's coming together as one so that when we pray, we become burning bushes. God in us, his fire in us, yet we remain ourselves. As the bush was unburnt and unconsumed, yet aflame, we are aflame, yet unburned and unconsumed. So St. John of Sinai, one of the most quotable old saints, said, Prayer is by its essence communication and union of God and man. And then I'm going to add in Jonathan Edwards, who I read last week. Um, he said something very similar. Prayer is the way to a life of communion with God. The true spirit of prayer is not other than God's own spirit dwelling in the hearts of the saints. And as this spirit comes from God, so does it naturally tend to God in holy breathings and pantings. It naturally leads to God. 
to converse with him by prayer. So that's what we are aiming for in prayer. God in us, pulling us into him. That is how we become on fire. Not a fire that burns. For those who love God, fire is a purifying, illuminating agent. So that's why we pray. Tonight is when we pray. And you might think of Jesus' words, right? In the Sermon on the Mount. When you pray, don't be as the hypocrites who love to stand in places and be seen by their prayers. Rather, go into your prayer closet and pray to your Father who sees you in secret. And when you pray, do not heap up empty vanities like the pagans do. For your Father knows what you have need of before you ask him. So when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed so forth. We're going to do that next week. When you pray is talking more about, yes, okay, let's have an assumption. You are going to pray. You're a Christian. You're going to pray. You love God. You want to commune with God. You're going to pray. So when you pray, yes, check, you're going to pray. But now let's talk about when does that happen? When do we pray? I know this sounds super elementary, but this will be very good for us. Some of you are going to say, well, I pray in the mornings. I pray in the evenings. I pray all the time. I pray at church. Good answer, good answer, good answer, good answer. We're going to cover all that. So when shall we pray? I want to propose to you two different times and elaborate on those. The first is that we should pray at set times. We should pray at set times. These are moments that we carve aside and consecrate for the purpose of prayer. Those are praying at set times. Then we will talk about praying at spontaneous times. When you pray because something hits your heart, something happens, you're about to endeavor on something, and you just throw up a prayer. Set times, spontaneous times. Let's look at set times. There are three set times that you should aim for. Now, we're all going to be at different places in this, in our walks with God. But we should aim to get to, at least in some small portion all three of these set times. The first is the Sunday service. Imagine that. However, had you asked me a year or two ago, is church, the church service, one of the places you pray? I might say, well, yeah, we pray before the sermon. Maybe the songs could be considered prayers. But I wouldn't say that church was about prayer. But how wrong I was. Because wasn't it Jesus who, quoting Isaiah 56, verse 7, said to the priests at the temple, My father's house shall be called a house of prayer. And now to the love of some and the hatred of others, God have mercy on them, we for the last six months have turned our church service largely into prayer and teaching the word. And I'm not, I love it. I absolutely love it. My soul is lifted up to God. Some people have not liked it. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, this is one of the things in the last six months of all criticism I've ever received. It was really not a lot, actually. I guess there's not as many people to criticize me anymore. But um, one of them was that they complained about praying so much. And I thought, well... All right, but Jesus told us to make his house a house of prayer. One of the places we set aside 
is Sundays for prayer. So Jesus said that it would be a house of prayer. Um, Our prayer is a service of worship to God. What do you give to God when you come before him? You don't come empty-handed. Yet the way we typically do church in our nation is we come to God empty-handed and say, all right, give me something. If you look at the Bible, no one comes to worship the Most High God empty-handed. Leviticus went to great detail to say, you come with something before God. And what the Christian comes is in the name of Christ, our sacrifice, and we come bearing the gifts and offerings of Well, the Bible says you enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise. The Psalms, particularly Psalm 51, says you will not offer, you will not receive bowls from me or burnt offerings. Those don't delight you. It's a humble heart and a contrite spirit. That's my offering to you. Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall proclaim your praise. That's praise or that's offering in the Psalms. We come before God with prayers of thanksgiving and praise and confession and yearning for him and asking for him to illumine our way and the world through us. So we aren't just coming to our church service. We're coming to God's service. When you, I don't know if you were ready for this. I'm even hitting you so hard right now, just right off the bat. But like when you come in here on Sunday nights, yes, I understand we have needs because we are sinful humans. We don't, we don't dismiss that, and God acknowledges that, and God meets our needs. But we don't just come in here saying, well, I wonder what Pastor B has for me tonight. Or, oh, man, they are doing worship, or he's doing worship. This attitude, which is pervasive, not among you guys, but this attitude, which is pervasive, I hope not among you, um, is an attitude of, it's my service. It's to serve me. We come and gather in God's presence to serve him. And that's why we make it a house of prayer. The Sunday service is one of these set times of prayer. And by it being set, it doesn't mean, okay, I've got nothing else going on. I'll go to church because it's kind of what you do. You come knowing it's a set time of prayer. You're coming with your heart and bringing it as an offering to God and raising it up in prayer to him. That's why you come. We come for a set time of prayer. Um, Paul also, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul was writing instructions to Timothy on how to lead the church in Ephesus. And in chapter 2, he talks about the worship service. And there's a few things he talks about. But in chapter 2, he really emphasizes the fact that when you guys gather, you should be offering up prayers for all people. In the earliest church, the gathering was primarily about prayer. Isn't that interesting? And historically, this is true too. You guys might know I really love church history. And I've, I've done some reading on the first few hundred years, uh, all before Constantine. Alan Kreider is a master at this. And this is what he said. Writing about the first couple hundred years, he said, Why did people come to worship services week after week? Many came because they couldn't live, couldn't survive without prayer. And then he details what the prayer portion of the service would have looked like. And that this truly was the power of Christians. And what turned pagans' heads was that Christians believed in a God who heard them and answered them. The Sunday service is one of those set times of prayer. Um, I said we're going for three set times. I'm going for two set times. I'm going to be more generous. 
<laughs> Don't worry, I'm covering, I'm covering it all. <laughs> Boy, this is the hardest part about post-COVID is just the whole, like, my throat gets drier so much faster. Man, I'm coughing already. Anyways, um, all right, so the second set time of prayer. So Sunday service, it's also in daily solitude. Daily solitude. These are our set times of prayer. Daily solitude. Now, daily solitude, I would recommend at least two times in your daily solitude. But we will all do as we can. So let's look at this. We're going to start in Mark chapter 1. Because we're going to see Jesus in his daily solitude. Mark chapter 1. Jesus, in verse 29, left the synagogue, by the way, the place where he would have had his Sabbath set prayer. And the synagogue, archaeology has shown that the synagogue was full of prayer, praying. In fact, we have some of the prayers that Jesus would have said in the synagogue. It's pretty cool. Jesus is just leaving a set time of prayer in the synagogue. And now he's coming to his uh, disciple Peter's house, his mother, um, Simon's mother-in-law is there, and she's laying ill with a fever, and Jesus heals her. News gets around, what? He healed her? The COVID's gone. She's coming out of her bed and serving us. And so the rest of Capernaum comes to the door of Peter's house and began seeking Jesus' healing. And he's healing diseases and he's casting out demons. And this must go late into the night. What an evening of the whole town coming to seek you. Then he goes to bed. And we find in Mark 1 verse 35. And rising very in the morning while it was still dark Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed and Simon and those who were with him searched for Jesus and they found him and said to him everyone is looking for you and Jesus said to them That's nice. Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Daily solitude. Jesus prayed in the morning. Morning before sunrise is one of the best times to have set prayer. Carve that space out. Before sunrise is typically before anyone is going to harass you. I never get up that early. Exactly why you should, because nobody else is getting up that early. And you've got the moment for yourself. He gets up before the sun is up while it's still dark. Christ goes to pray Morning prayer is a time to set aside prayer for the purpose of direction. One of the reasons morning prayer is so important is because it gives us direction for our lives and, of course, for our day. Notice what Peter says to Jesus. He says, Jesus, I'm so glad we found you. Why do you disappear when we need you? Everyone is looking for you. Now, had I, I'm totally honest here, If I didn't have a praying life, (laughs) had I just made a splash in Capernaum and my name's now gotten out and about, 
And the next morning, everyone's showing up. We need more Brandon. More Brandon. More Brandon. Um, I might be... So tell me exactly what they're saying, Peter. <laughs> tell me more. Ah, let's go, guys. Let's, let's seize the moment. Let's take the opportunity. But Jesus does not answer Peter that way. In fact, he's completely disinterested in what Capernaum is saying about him. Because Jesus has just set aside the morning for prayer for the purpose of direction. And as he comes out of prayer, Peter says, Dude, these needs are happening. These people need you. We need to do this. We need to set up because the popularity thing's happening. I think how many people you can tell about our father if you would just go now. And Jesus says, I already got my directions from the father. We're not going back to Capernaum. We're going to these other towns. For that is the reason for which I came out. Now, when he says the reason for which I came out, does he mean came to earth or the reason I came out here to pray? If it's the latter, then God showed him there in prayer his marching orders for the day. And by setting aside a set time of prayer in the morning, God will direct your life. He will align your wills and your purposes with his. Now, it doesn't necessarily happen the first day you pray. It's a habit. And the more we seek him at the start of the day, the more we will train our souls to seek him at every moment of the day. Direction comes by having set morning prayer. Do you remember when Jesus prayed at his baptism? The heavens were opened and he heard the voice of the Father say, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And two weeks ago we said that when you pray, this is what you hear. You hear the Father's voice telling you he's pleased with you, he's proud of you. If we would hear that voice every morning, you would be way less interested in what other people are saying about you. You'd be way less interested in trying to earn their praise because you've already received it at the start of your day. So we pray in Sunday services. We pray in daily solitude. Morning prayer is one where we get direction. Another time is evening prayer. And this is in Mark 6. Evening prayer is where we get illumination. Evening prayer is where we get to look back on the day and say, God, where were you? God, what did you do? God, what did you want me to learn? God, where did I fail? And as the evening is coming on and the darkness is settling in, we pray, Lord, lighten my darkness. Show me your ways. Teach me your paths. So in evening prayer, Jesus, this is Mark 6, verse 45. Once again, another busy moment. He feeds the 5,000, dismisses them. Verse, chapter Mark 6, 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he, Jesus, was alone on the land. And he saw that the disciples were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, that's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., brief little evening prayer session for Jesus. About the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea, 
He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves. Meaning the feeding of the 5,000, which happened earlier that day. They did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. One important lesson from this passage speaks directly to our time management obsessed culture. If Jesus is on a mountain, never, ever get in a boat. get ahead. Jesus told us to get a head start. Let's get a head start. We can get to the other side sooner. We can get more sleep. We can do more things. Maybe we'll have time to watch an episode of that favorite show Peter likes. We will get ahead. But brothers and sisters, it's such a lie in our time management obsessed culture that getting ahead is always the same thing as progress. Look at the disciples. The disciples wrap up the day. Woo, that was some good work. Let's go retire early so we can kick it and have some late night veggies and ice cream. By veggies, I don't mean veggies. I mean vegging in front of TV. Um, This is their plan, right? Let's, Let's get a jump start. But because they try to make time and hurry on to what's next, because Jesus is on a mountain in prayer and they're in a boat trying to get ahead, we see three mistakes. We see three problems. First, they make painful progress. Painful progress. You and I will find ourselves working harder if we're doing things without the Lord's direction, without prayer, because you are going to be doing it in your strength. And the disciples make painful progress. Second, they fail to recognize Jesus in verse 49. They saw him walking on the sea and thought he was a ghost. Brothers and sisters, setting aside evening prayer gives us illumination. So many times we do not see God's work in our lives through the day because we do not stop and ask him to illumine what happened in our day. And we miss him. He's about to walk right by us. Or worse, we think that he is a catastrophic ghost in our lives. Like, how dare this happen to me? Why would this happen? And if that's our focus on panic and terror all the time what happens and don't see that God maybe is doing these things in our lives, we will completely miss how God is trying to grow us in every situation. And then third, they are confused and their hearts are hardened. They have no no understanding about the great miracle that happened in their midst that day because they did not take the time to end the day by looking back and saying, God, illumine Show me where you were today. Their hearts were hardened. So we have set times of prayer. We have Sunday prayer. We have morning prayer. We have evening prayer. And notice that these are different in the fact that Sunday prayer is with people. People. Morning prayer and evening prayer are alone. Now, these two actually go together, 
praying together sharpens the times that I pray alone. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. And if you struggle praying alone, get used to praying with others because it will sharpen your alone time. And my praying alone will enhance the times of prayer at Sunday. So if Sunday in church just seems empty or it seems worthless to you, I guarantee you don't have a good, strong prayer life. The two enhance one another. They feed into each other. And here's what we typically see in our culture today. You have the religionist who goes to church on Sunday and prays on Sunday, but the rest of the week is his way. Or you have the spiritualist, all those people, I'm spiritual but not religious, who pray in their own way on their own time all the time, but never pray in the company of Christians because that would cramp my style. (laughs) The two go together. Sunday teaches us how to pray. The week we practice it daily. And they go together. It sharpens, it enhances, it plays on one another. So that is the first time to pray. Is set prayer. Have set times of prayer at least once a week with people. And then at least every day, hopefully morning and evening prayer as well. But then second, um, we, when do we pray? We pray spontaneously. We always pray spontaneously. And this is actually very important. If you don't pray spontaneously throughout the day, if you just go and have your set time of prayer, okay, Lord, thank you, amen, and then you go on to the day, and then at the end of the day, thank you, Lord, amen, and then you go on to bed. And If you're never thinking about God or communicating with him in between these set times, you are actually making your set times of prayer feel like religious duty. St. Theophan, the recluse, he's a 19th century Russian monk, his master on writing about prayer. He says, one must ensure that the soul does not only make petition to God when standing in prayer, but during the whole day, as much as possible, one must unceasingly ascend to him and remain with him. Beautiful. What does spontaneous prayer look like, sound like? It's, if something comes into your heart, Let it out. That's spontaneous prayer. Let it out. You're about to meet with somebody you're dreading to meet with. Pray a prayer. You suddenly see something beautiful. Thank God. You're running into um, (coughs) the grocery store. (laughs) God, guide my wallet. (laughs) That's me. I I am. When I shop for groceries, our budget needs to be up 100. When Brittany shops for groceries, we stay in budget. It's just how it goes. I have a big stomach in the store. <laughs> um, anyway, so these spontaneous prayers, I call them arrow prayers because they are like through the day firing an arrow when you can. See us, uh, no, uh, Charles Spurgeon. He described them as darts, which is where I, I think I was inspired to call them arrow prayers. I thought it came from Spurgeon, but I couldn't find it. So I think I, I think I call them arrow prayers based on this quote. Spurgeon says, spontaneous prayers are those which, as it were, one hurls a dart and then is done. It is not the prayer which stands knocking at mercy's door, knock, 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 but it is the concentration of many knocks into one. It is begun and completed, as it were, with one stroke. This spontaneous prayer, arrow prayers, I desire to commend to you as among the very best forms of prayer. 
These are short prayers of great power. Think of Nehemiah in chapter 2 of Nehemiah when he's been praying and praying and praying for a chance to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And then one day the king says, Nehemiah, you look sad. He then says, so I prayed to the God of heaven and then told the king why. What did he pray in that little moment? Nehemiah, what's up? And then he, Nehemiah answers. In that little space between question and answer, Nehemiah lifts up a prayer. That's an arrow prayer. Shot straight up to heaven. Think of Peter when he's sinking in the water. Lord, save me. An effective prayer. Think of blind Bartimaeus. Lord Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's healed. Or the two blind men following Jesus in Matthew 9. Have mercy on us, son of David. These are all short but powerful prayers. Uh, Think of the father of the boy with the unclean spirit in Mark chapter 9. I believe, help my unbelief. Think of the tax collector in Jesus' parable. Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Think of the thief on the cross. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. These are short, powerful prayers. And these are all you need throughout the day. Equipped with one-liners, having that arrow, that quiver full of arrows and firing at will throughout the day. You can also pray um, lines of the Psalms, which is why I love praying the Psalms through every month. And of course, you guys might know or forgot that there are that, that reading through the Psalms every month back there if you want to do that. The, these line, one-liners in the Psalms get into you. Like, <clears throat> um, preserve me, O God, for in you I place my trust. Or search me, O God, and know my heart. Or test me and know my thoughts. Or, O God, make speed to save me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Or teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Or let your good spirit guide me upon ground that is level. You just have these lines from the Psalms that you can throw during the day, depending on the occasion. Or bless the Lord, O my soul, and all within me bless his holy name. Without these arrow prayers throughout your day, your set prayers will suffer. The fire of prayer, if prayer is about becoming all fire, then the fire of prayer will fade between morning and evening prayer. Or, if it's even less frequent, it's going to really fade. So these arrow prayers stoke the coal throughout the day. It keeps it going. Um, If you don't use arrow prayers through the day, your set prayers will become static prayers. You will feel like you're talking to a ceiling. You've ever been there? It feels like your prayer time is not very effective. Without arrow prayers, our set prayers become boring and tedious. Oh, yeah, prayer time. I better do this because I'm a good Christian. And then you just pray not from your heart. Arrow prayers keep the fire going so that you not only enter into or not so that you not only does the fire keep burning in your heart but you enter into prayer with more fervency because there's no need to oh i gotta relight it how how annoying if every time you come before god you have to start the whole thing over ah i gotta rebuild this campfire and relight it and pour in a cells like three matches tonight to get the candles going like what if that was prayer for you every time You would lose heart. You would stop praying. And that is, alas, where many Christians go to have their prayer lives die. They start, first of all, something way too ambitious, praying more than they should to start with. Sometimes God wants you to start small. 
And then, though, they don't pray through the day. So then, every time you come back, you're like, oh my goodness. It just feels like you're dragging a heart of stone into prayer. Because you are. So, St. Theophan the Recluse said this really interesting insight. He said that we pray in the morning and evening... Yes, that's a very standard historical Christian thing to do. There is a great distance, though, between morning and evening. If we only turn to God at these times, these set prayer times, then even if we pray wholeheartedly during the day or night, everything will fall apart. And when it is time to pray again, the soul will feel cold and empty as before. One can pray again wholeheartedly, but if you become cold and fall apart again, what use is it? This is just, and I can relate to this, this is just building and destroying, building and destroying. It is only labor. But if now we resolve not only to pray with attention and feeling in the morning and the evening, but also to spend every day in contemplation of God, doing all things to the glory of God, and frequently calling to God from our hearts with short words of prayer, arrow prayers, then this long period between morning and evening prayers and from evening to morning prayers will be filled with frequent turnings to God and pure prayerful actions. So arrow prayers not only keep the fire of prayer burning, but they make your prayer more fervent when you go to your set times of prayer. That's why Spurgeon recommends them as one of the highest forms of prayer. So, however, your arrow prayers are useless if you don't have set prayers. Because you're going to reach for an arrow and the quiver will be empty. So, just the way that praying together and praying alone are needed upon one another, praying in set times and praying in spontaneous times are dependent upon one another. Why do we need... So, therefore, I, I would say set times of prayer are the most important formative. Yes, absolutely, of spontaneous prayer throughout. But set prayer is the most formative. Why do we need set times of prayer? Because here's, here's the kickback I often get from people when we talk about, okay, are we going to set up, how are we going to set up your prayer life? It's like, well, I kind of just pray when I feel like it. I kind of just pray through the day. I kind of just keep an open spirit of prayer. Great, praise the Lord. Don't stop that, please. But have a set time of prayer. Have times that you set aside for your king appointments of which you say, I have an appointment with my God. And here's the reason that we need these set times of prayer. First, set times of prayer override our feelings. Do I always feel like praying? If I just waited till it felt like the right moment, do you know how many times of prayer I would miss? But it's the fact that I have committed to myself that I would pray upon first rising every morning that I pray because I don't always feel like it. Or if I just wait a little later, then, oh, no, the demands of the day start happening. It doesn't. We pray set prayers to override our feelings. You're not always going to feel like it. And prayer, by the way, sometimes can feel futile. Oh, but, I mean, reading my Bible, I can check a box. I did that. I read this passage this year, or I helped somebody, check, or I fasted, check, or I went to church, check, but prayer? I mean, no one's going to know if I did or didn't. 
But having a set time of prayer will override those feelings. Second, we have a set time of prayer to make time where we never have time to pray. Golden rule you must accept because the devil will lie and tell you differently. You never have time to pray. The devil wants you to think you have lots of time to pray. You can pray later. No, the truth, brother and sisters, you don't have time to pray unless you make the time. When you put it on your calendar, this is what we mean by a set time. It's not just, well, sometime in the morning. I do it at 8.03 a.m. I don't actually. I'm just throwing that out there, though. 8.03 a.m. Well, guess what? If someone calls you and says, hey, can you help me with something right now? I'm sorry. It's 8.03 a.m. On my calendar, I have an appointment. I will get back to you later. If you didn't have that appointment, how likely would you be to go help that whatever is going on? We need appointments so that we stick with the time. You don't have time. We make time. Uh, We need set times of prayer. Third, to orient our lives around communing with God. Orient your life around communing with God. Because you know how you orient your life when you don't have set times of prayer? You orient your life around what time I go to bed, when dinner or breakfast or lunch is, when um, TV goes on, or when the next sporting event is, or um, those kinds of things. The next holiday. Do you really want your life oriented by those? Or do you want it oriented by communing with God? And then the fourth reason for a set time of prayer is to fill our quiver with arrows so that I can fire arrow prayers throughout the day. Now, of course, you still can without set times of prayer, but your set prayer enhances your quiver and you have more options and more things to draw on, like the Psalms themselves. Spurgeon said that spontaneous prayers are like the sparks that fly from a soul that is filled with burning coals of love to Jesus. In other words, he's saying spontaneous prayers don't just come out of thin air. They're there because you are already in prayer. You will find it hard to do spontaneous prayer if you don't have set prayer. And then finally tonight, guys, I want to encourage you guys with how do you establish set prayer times? How do you do this? Like, very practically, how do we go about and say, I mean, yep, okay, I should have set times of prayer, but like... From someone who's gone through a lot of pitfalls, how do, you, how do you make sure that this happens? I want to recommend to you four, four steps. Number one, very obvious, but very important. Choose a time and keep it. Keep that time like an actual appointment with God. Choose a time. So when is it? Is it right when you wake up? Is it after you have breakfast? Is it 8.40 a.m.? Is it before you go to bed? Or is it when you get home from work? Be specific. When is your set time? It's a set time. It's not a, well, kind of when it's convenient time. It's a set time. Choose your time and keep it. And the reason it's important to keep it is because you always find excuses not to. But as I keep my set time, it becomes habitual In a good sense, in that my heart will say, well, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be doing something else right now. Yes, you are. Keep your set time. So choose a time and keep it. Uh, At least, at least once a day. But it would be best if you could do two. 
Did you know that um, until recent times, actually, it was considered normal for Christians to pray three times, three set times a day? Actual set times, like where you get on your knees and pray. Um, That's kind of, modernity has changed a lot. But um, in fact, the earliest church Christians, uh, they were doing it up to five times a day. Those are records that you can go look at. Um, But I would recommend to set a time in the morning. Uh, it's hard, but do at least something short in the morning. You might want the bulk of your prayer to be in the evening. I was just talking to people. A lot of people love evenings, so great, cool. Um, it's harder when I have kids to do evenings. It's easier to get up before them, so I love the morning. But nonetheless, um, do something in the morning. I mean, because if you have time to shower before you go to work, if you have time to eat breakfast before you go to work, but you don't have time to cleanse your soul or to feed your soul, are your priorities in the right place? Isn't it better to commune with God and to skip breakfast? Do something in the morning. Step number two, find, as Jesus did, a desolate place. In the morning, he found a desolate place. That was the wording. In the evening, he climbed a mountain. Why? (laughs) Because the whole world wants you when you're praying. You need a desolate place. One, yes, it keeps your moment quiet, but second... There's a lot less struggle about, okay, it's time to pray. Uh, Should I go here, there, or uh, indecision? Or No, have a place and have this be a consecrated place. This is where I pray. Of course, there are times when you can't, you're traveling or whatever, but have a place when in the best moments you can pray. This is my prayer place. Because just by getting to that spot, your soul will be ready to engage with God. Just like how my stomach gets ready when I get in the kitchen. It's just, it's trained responses, right? Find a desolate place. Number three, know, this is going to sound weird to some of us, know what you are going to pray before you pray. Know what you're going to pray before you pray. This does not mean that you've got your entire set time of prayer all scripted out, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. That's not what that means. Some people like to do it that way. But what I mean is the first few minutes of your prayer time, know before you get there what you're praying. So yes, have something that is set or written to start. The reason for this is you will find it easier to start prayer if it's handed to you than if you've got to make it all up every time you enter into prayer. So start at least with something that you know before you start what you're going to pray. Then go into praying everything on your heart. So start either with a psalm. Every morning I go, or every prayer time, I just do the next psalm, how about? Or every time when I kneel or sit or stand, I'm going to recite the Lord's Prayer, and then I'm going to pray. Like, but start, know what your first words are before you start, so that you can start without struggle. The soul will catch it. When you don't feel like it, the spirit catches up by the time you're done with that first prayer. I guarantee, that's, that's been my experience. So I can guarantee it. If you're anything like me, human, um, then, <laughs> okay, if you're anything like me, then it would probably be the same for you. So for me, I start my morning prayer with um, what's known as the Chisagion prayers. Beautiful, powerful. You get them memorized within a few weeks. And then those are the prayers I start with. And then my soul is in this place before God. I'm in communion by the time they're done. And then, man, the heart is just ready to keep on praying. 
So find your, no, find what it is. And what are you going to pray before you start to pray? And then the final step, pray as you can, not as you want. What I mean by this is don't be a January enthusiast. You know, the gym on January 1st. Wow, what are all these people doing here? Man, there's like no room on any of the equipment. I don't use the gym, so I don't know what this is like. I've heard it's like this. And then two weeks later, all these people don't come back. Because like they have these ambitions to get in shape, to lose as much weight, to become buff, to do all these things that they've always done they should. But they don't really know what they're doing. They're doing more than they can. The, the fatigue and the pain and the soreness and the, ah, oh, the time and, ah, there's so much easier not to. All that begins to sink in. And by February, it's back to the normals, right, in the gym. We all know what this is like with New Year's resolutions of whatever form. We want to go big and then we fail. And I know your heart will be to go big in prayer. Whatever you're setting up for your set prayer times, you're going to want to have this massive, look how godly I am, and here's my aim, and this is what I'm going to do. And, well, in a few weeks, you're going to stop praying because you're going to realize, I don't have an hour and a half to pray. Well, guess what? You're not a pastor or a monk or a nun. You must pray where you are in life. If you are a mother of a child or the father of a child, you must pray like the mother or father of a child. If you work long, long hours, you must pray like someone who works long, long hours. And if you have a lot of free time, you must pray like someone who has a lot of free time. Pray as you can, not as you want. So the recommendation is start small. And in a week, you might decide that's too small. Cool. Grow it. And in two months, you can grow it again. Let your set prayers grow with you. Better the prayer you can do than the prayer you can't. God would much rather meet with us on a frequent basis for five minutes than Once a month for five hours? Yeah, better to set up the prayer that you can stick with than the one you can't. And brothers and sisters, if you will, you can become all fire. I can. I pray that God's presence would make us a blazing light for him. In our Sunday prayers, in our solitary prayers, and in our arrow prayers. Lord, direct my will. Teach me to pray. Pray you yourself in me.